big interview alert. Oh my God. I don't even, I don't even want to do the intro. I'm already like blushing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So there are people with diabetes like me, and then there are people and like, like Eritrea. And then there are people who are like upper echelon. Like they're, you know, even if they didn't have diabetes, you would know about them. They're like doing big, big stuff. The person who's on the pod this week, Bambi Northwood Blythe, I would characterize as someone like that, like on the cover of Harper's Bazaar when she was 17, uh, international supermodel and person with diabetes and friend of the pod. I have to say too, in your life, you come across people and, you know, the first one for me, I can think of, there's this guy who ran this NBA draft website and he still does it. He does it for ESPN now, but I was like the hugest stand of this guy on Twitter. I was like, wow, this guy knows everything. He's got all the video breakdowns. And when I met him, I had like hyped him up too much in my mind to, and, and I met him and he just like, wasn't as like dynamic in person. Or like, I was like, I was this huge fan. I'm like oversharing. I'm like, dude, I love this. This is this. He's like, <laughs> Oh, thanks. Cool. And, and so anyway, that really helped set my expectations for when you meet people, you know, you got to give them a chance to be themselves and like not project your own like thoughts of who they should be on them. Um, and those who have met Bambi, uh, you know, and we talk a little bit about her uh, going to Connected in Motion uh, at Slipstream a few years ago. And those people know Bambi is, is so cool. It's so down to earth and such a fresh, like relatable, normal voice talking about diabetes in these rooms that she's in where, you know, she's, you know, for major publications, for Vogue, for Fashion Week. And, you know, above all that, like she has to deal with managing her diabetes uh, within that. So so cool of her to come on the show and she was so giving of her time and some really awesome answers from her and some really like cool relatable diabetes discussions and also i got to see eritrea get like blushing starstruck for the first time i hate you and it was no, it was I, just really nice i um first of all she's beautiful like i know guys whatever but like this this person is just so unbelievably good looking and then just not even that it's just like her energy like you could tell she's pretty on the inside like it wasn't fake like she wasn't just like putting on this nice girl persona like she genuinely you know when you can tell someone's listening to you or they're just waiting for you to stop talking she genuinely like when i asked my questions to her because i was really nervous and i feel like maybe you guys will be able to tell on the pod because i like don't really ask them until the end but when I did, she didn't like interrupt me or try to finish it for me or she like would hear me out. And then she'd be like, oh yeah, like totally been through that or no, I have or whatever. And she just, she was like my buddy. I know a famous supermodel. I can stop pretending that my biggest like flex is working with Rob. It's like, excuse me. <laughs> I know a supermodel who knew Carl Lagerfield, like get out of my way. It's wow, shout out Carl it. Lagerfield for sure. Um, RIP. Man. I didn't realize that, that you consider working with you as a, as a flex, but we got to get you some better flexes. <laughs> I need another therapist. I only you, have one. <laughs> does that get you laughed out of like most circles? You're like, oh yeah, I work with Rob. I'll be like, who? Who's that? <laughs> um, okay. So anyway, we, we had a lot of fun with this interview, as you can see. Uh, Bambi, thank you so much for your time. This was an incredible story. And I hope you guys enjoy our very fun conversation with Bambi Northwood Blythe. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We're telling the amazing stories of people with diabetes from all over the world. And that's a key part of today's discussion because our guest, very special guest, while she's from Australia, she's calling today from New York City. You know her. Her name is Bambi Northwood Blythe. Welcome to the show, Bambi. Thanks so much for, for joining us today. Thank you, guys. I'm so excited to be here. 
Well, we are excited to have you. And we were kind of like laughing like off, uh, like on the, on the, before the episode, before we hit record that you don't do a lot of podcasts. So this is going to be our, your chance to kind of debut podcast debut to the diabetes world. And, and also, uh, just have a little fun, a little fun chat with us today. Exactly. I think it might be my Australian accent too. (laughs) Some words get lost in translation. Well, we also have a lot of like, especially early on, I met a lot of people with diabetes from Australia and and Ireland and the UK as well. I think like very early on the podcast was like very international and we had some like awesome guests. Uh, My friend, Jeremy Robertson, who's uh, a pilot who lives with type one and and many others from, from the Oz world. So I'm excited that we get to add another, uh, another Aussie to our, to our list. He, the guy that was the first person that allowed diabetes to become pilots. Uh, he was not, but he was, uh, so that's, uh, Pietro Marsala. Okay. Uh, and I, I, have you met him before? No, but I've heard the story, which is incredible because I remember when I was diagnosed, there were like three things you can't do is become a scuba dive instructor, become a pilot and maybe an astronaut. And I was like, oh, it's okay. I don't want to be that, but <laughs> that's so cool. But they, he changed that. Yeah, they did. And, uh, the actual, actually like shout out to all of the pilots with diabetes. Some of them, it's like a very small community, but some of the most giving kind and courageous people like really trailblazing in that space to, so now, you know, other than scuba diving and being an astronaut, there aren't, there's one fewer thing that you can, uh, that you can do with diabetes. Thank you. Thankfully to those guys and all their hard work. So shout out to Pietro and Jeremy and, uh, and all of the other pilots, uh, who, who have given their time, Dr. Jerry as well. Awesome folks. So Bambi, let's talk a little bit about diabetes. You told us that you were diagnosed in 2001. What do you remember about like get joining the diabetes family, so to speak? Um, so like, I think start like diabetes was not something I knew about. Like there was no one in my family. It wasn't something that ever really crossed my mind. Like I was 12 years old and I remember we were driving back. It was like a long weekend in Australia. I've got two sisters, mom and dad in the car. And I was like, oh, can we stop? I need to go to the bathroom. Oh, I need more water. Can we stop? I need more water. Can we sisters were like, what is wrong with her? Like, stop. Like, they just thought <laughs> I was being annoying. And then I was kind of super quiet. We got back home. And so like something is up. And my mom was like, I'm going to take you to the ER. So we went to the ER. And she was like, I remember her saying, listen, darling, this could be nothing. Or it could be something like diabetes. And that was just a weird thought she had. And you know, a couple of blood tests later and they were like, she's got type one. We had no idea what that meant. And I remember going straight in an ambulance to the children's hospital where we spent seven nights in there and literally got a crash course on what type one diabetes is. Like it's crazy when you're diagnosed because you know, when you meet someone in the street and you say, I've got type one, they're like, well, what's that? And then when you suddenly have it, you're like an expert at it. Like it's, it's crazy. Like you do a degree overnight in this condition. And you talked about like the crash course and it's you and your family. And I think Eritrea and I had very similar experiences at children's medical center in Dallas, where I think I was in the hospital for three nights, but every day, like all day, different people were coming in nutritionists and endocrinologists and diabetes educators and people from JDRF and just teaching you about, like you said, the, like getting a degree overnight and what diabetes is and how, how to treat it. I remember injecting like an orange trying to learn because I remember at the very start, I was like, there's no way I'm having needles. And I would literally run from my mom. Like I was like, there's no way. And then 
you know, like three months after hospital, I remember like distinctly doing my first needle because I'd be like to my mum, you don't need a run up. Like I used to think she like had a run up to the needle. <laughs> you know, when someone else finger pricks your finger and it's always ways, way, way worse than you need to. And I just, and then once I started injecting myself, I feel like I started getting in the flow of it, but it's so crazy at the start. Yeah. I remember, I think my, they gave us like the orange and then they also asked like my, made me like inject my parents so that they could know what it felt like. And so it was just like this whole group thing of like, you know, and like you said, whenever somebody else is injecting you or testing your blood sugar, they always press a little bit harder. It seems yeah. like it's, just, it's never, never a good experience. No. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about like your adjustments. Like you said, you were 12, your family is all learning. You guys are all learning on the fly about type one. And, you know, obviously like that's such an important time in a young person's life. Like you're going through so many changes already as a young person and then throwing diabetes in that. What do you remember about your kind of early days going to school and, you know, activities and friends and things like that? Um, I just moved to a new school at the start of that year and it was in November. So it was kind of lucky that I, that was the school I stayed at for high school. Um, and I think that really helped in a way that there was only, I think, 70 of us at that time. And then by the time it gets to like grade seven, like high school, it increases to like a thousand girls. So it was kind of nice that I had a small circle, you know, your parents are close with parents and I was able to still like have sleepovers and things like that. But I do remember I was always super active and just those little things where you could like run out the door and play netball or like, I don't know, run down to your friend's house and jump on the trampoline, like became a big thing. I think it was like, yeah, that age, it just, the flexibility was lost a bit. And it was just kind of like, this is so unfair. Why me? Why can't I do that? Like there was just, it was that sudden sense of like, the spontaneity kind of goes. And especially when you're at that young age, you just don't understand why. Yeah. And there's that like kind of emotional, I, I remember getting really angry sometimes about, you know, just having to take those extra steps and you sort of remember as well, like, Oh, well, I used to not have to do this and it used to be so much easier. And, um, but I totally agree with you. And I, I relate as well. Like I had, a, I was a very small high school. And so a very small community of people and parents and teachers, it really helps to add those people to the community because they were kind of learning about how to treat someone with diabetes as well. I was really the only person in the immediate area. Yeah. I just do remember the one annoying thing was I used to have to go to the staff room at recess and at lunch. And I would be like, I'm going to miss the start of the game, like whatever we're playing. And I would be like seven minutes late and recess was only 20 minutes. And that made me so angry. I'd be like, try and get in and out of that office so quick. Um, but yeah, besides that, I think it was just the adjustment period. Um, but then going on through high school, I think weirdly enough now, I'm kind of grateful that I got it at that age. Cause that's kind of like a formative time where you kind of like form your patterns. Like when I think back to it now, I'm like, if that wasn't kind of in my schedule of how I ran my life, like if I got it at 25, I think it would have been a lot harder. Hmm. Whereas like having it from that age and through my teens, it's kind of like, I can't really imagine waking up without having an injection or like having a breakfast. Like 
and kind of in that weird way, it really is like ingrained in how I kind of go day to day. Yeah. And I, t- I totally get that. And like, I think even recently on podcasts, I was talking about, I don't really remember too much, even though I was diagnosed at 16, I don't really remember like the mechanics of just going to a birthday party when I was young before I had diabetes and just eating whatever I wanted and not having to worry about it. To me, it's just injections and testing and bolusing are just part of the routine now. It's just kind of how yeah. seems like how things have always been. Mm-hmm. It's that-, that old theory of like, if you're diagnosed, I think I've said it before on the podcast, like if you're diagnosed in childhood versus adulthood, cause we have less to grief, I, I guess like as a child, your grief process is much different than as an adult. Like when you're little, when you're diagnosed, in those formative years, like Bambi and I were, you don't really think about adult you as much. You're like, oh, will we even get there? Right. But like, if you're diagnosed when you're 25, you're like, oh my God, will I have kids? Will I do this? Will I do that? Whereas for us, we were diagnosed so young that it's like already a part of your life. You have this right. chance to create routines and things that you like, like, I know my diabetes will always be there kind of thing. So it's um, almost a little comforting, like Bambi said. Yeah. yeah. It becomes really normal. Right. And you know, you talked about the adult life, Eritrea. So I'd love to talk like, obviously like Bambi, you're, you're a supermodel. Like, so let's just, let's call it what it is. Right. Um, and you're like, you're on the go, you're, you're traveling, you're working probably weird hours, uh, probably long days. And I, I'd love to, for you to kind of give us a, you know, how, you know, how you were discovered and how this became part of your life. Uh, and then, you know, what's, what's the life of a supermodel like? like? Give us a little bit of like a behind the scenes of like, you know, yeah. what, what, what you're going through on a daily basis. Um, so re being discovered, it was, it was pretty funny. I was in Australia. I was 17. I was at a music festival and someone was like, so he was like, I want to shoot you for a job. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I had no idea. Like I was like running around in denim shorts, Converse high tops, like vintage t-shirts, like just an Aussie girl and I went into an agency and they were like oh we want to put you on the cover of Harper's Bazaar and I was like okay cool like no idea still went and I shot a cover of Harper's Bazaar the next day I had a call with um Carla Felt from Chanel at the time and I remember like walking in a laneway on Skype like for my fasting video and I got put on um the show in Paris and they were like, well, before you go to Paris, you should go to New York. So like kind of still like packed myself and I still didn't really have any idea of what I was doing. But I think in the sense of modeling, it's kind of a great way. It's not a job you want to want because it's such a fickle kind of industry. Whereas like if you're rolling with what's happening, it's kind of you can look at it from a different point of view, I guess. Like I've had an amazing time in the industry and it's been, it's just like, I'm always like, wow, like I'm not like, you know, it's kind of, it's more funny that this is my job. And like I say it to people sometimes, especially someone's like, what do you do? And if I'm like, I'm a model. And then people look at you like again, and you're like, no, I still look the same. <laughs> you know, it, I find it a really funny job, but it's, it's definitely taken me like around the world. It's, really like it has put my diabetes to the test but it's just yeah it's crazy hours it's weird schedules it's new clients nearly every day like last week I was in LA Philly Nevada LA and that was like six days and then out upstate New York and that is just like 
when you're back to back, you've really got to have kind of like your key pillars or stuff that you need for diabetes ready to go. And that has been like just from experience too, like just knowing that like when you open your suitcase and you can never have too many snacks, I don't think. You know, like there's no way I could eat three muesli bars and four bags of candy on a plane. And you're like, "Mm -mm." you don't know what your blood sugar is going to do. and Can't risk it. (laughs) Yeah, you land somewhere and everything's shut or you're in Spain and there's nothing. And you're like, what do I do? So I think it's just like you kind of practice and really never underestimate how much you actually need. So like when you're going to go on a trip, like you're, you know, last, like, like you said, last week, you're in six different places uh, mm-hmm. across the U S that are, you know, most of them not close to each other. So yeah. what do you, you know, at the beginning of the week or at the beginning of a trip, what do you make sure that you always have in your bag? What's your uh, kind of, what's your checklist that you go down? Um, so obviously like finger pricker, insulin, like I always pack like 10 tips, kind of realize that I don't need to, I'm not going to really going to change my lancet. <laughs> like that stuff but then um i guess like those little like annie's candies probably like 10 bags of them um dried fruit boxes of sultanas um muesli bars uh nuts are good and then like fresh fruit when you can but i think yeah just a good bag of snacks helps yeah just Just knowing you have backup I was going to say, it just feels good. Like having that bag next to you. I, I remember when I was playing basketball on the road, that was, I, I had like a backpack and everybody else, all my teammates just had their, like it was called our game bag. So if something happened to our regular luggage, we'd still have enough to like go do our games. And my game bag was like half snacks. So it was way yeah. heavier than everybody else's. <laughs> it's crazy sometimes. Like when you used to have to take your snacks out of your bag at LAX, you'd be like, who is this girl? Like, it's literally like it's a it's like you're like a own a deli <laughs> right like you just got all of your you're putting that through security in that extra bag so funny yeah so like let's talk a little bit about that as well because i think like obviously in the fashion industry like you know and there's been a lot of things about body issues as well and i think like you are very outspoken about wearing your devices and you're photographed with your with your dexcom on uh you know at times as well and you know, being really open about wearing those devices. What is that like, you know, from a day-to-day perspective in, in, in the industry? Like how do people respond to seeing those things? Um, again, it's been pretty good. It's like I did, I wrote, I remember something the other day. Um, I was just about to walk um, out on a runway and I was, I was the first girl going out and there was a model behind me. I was in like a skin tight dress. There's a model behind me. She's like, oh my God, you've got something on your butt. She tries to like pull it off. And I'm like, oh no, that's like a Dexcom and stylist runs up. And she's like, well, and I was like, oh no, that doesn't come off. Like, and then she was so embarrassed. The girl was so embarrassed. And I was like, then I was like embarrassed for them. But I was also like, I don't know. It's more those things when people kind of like, just like don't know what it is. And then they get super embarrassed and then, you're like, no, it's fine. And then they feel like they need to ask you more questions. It's those moments. Or I remember once when I used to have a pump, I was on set and the lady was cutting tags off and she just cut through the pump cord thinking it was another tag. And I was like, oh, no. So like, it's more like that. Um, Yeah. Like those times have been awkward, but 
for me, the Dexcom doesn't really get in the way. Like I have it usually on like my, like my hip and you don't really see it. Um, but I do like, I love when I see someone else, it's more being in America. Like you see people around the streets now and you're like, oh, like it's cool. It's cool to like know what they are. It is. It's like, I saw a woman yesterday, uh, the barista in the coffee shop that I went to and she had an Omnipod on her arm and she was wearing like a sleeveless shirt and she was wearing her Omnipod proud on her arm. And I like had my, my sensor was out underneath the sleeve of my t-shirt. And I was like, Hey, like, I see you have an Omnipod. Like I, I have diabetes too. And it was just like, especially in masks, it was a little bit weird because you can't really see each other, you know? So it's mm-hmm. somehow I feel like it's, it's easier to not be embarrassed because you're just like, no one can see you. And yeah. so, but she was like very surprised that I asked her about it. It was just, I don't know. It's, it's always such a fun moment when, cause there's two sides. There's the person who has no idea what it is and you have to explain and kind of do the same story over and over and over. But then there's the moment where you see somebody and you're like, Hey, like, I know, you know what this is. Let's just have this quick moment and then we'll be on our way. Yeah, it's so cool running into like a diabetic in the in the wild. Like it's like your instant best friends. I know I've like bumped into someone and then you start talking and you're with your friends and you're like, what was that? Like, was that English? Like you just start rolling off just like, oh my god, how's your that was which insulin? You on Lantis, you on like and you just like and you like just instant like yeah, it's like your secret code. It's crazy. It is. It's like, a, it's, yeah, it's like a little fan club, like a secret, mm-hmm. you know, behind the scenes language. So much fun. Yeah. Being part of a set all over the world. Well, that's how I feel, but maybe that's the gangsta in me. I'm like, oh, we real recognize real. So when Rob is like pulling up his sleeve, I'm just like, oh, this is very, I don't know. It's like community, gang, whatever. I like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's sort of, you just like automatically know that that person know like whatever, whatever they use, they, you know, they know what you're going through. Mm-hmm. You talked about like, you know, running it. We talked about running into people a few years ago. I remember seeing on social media, you went to a slipstream uh, at, at a connected emotion camp with some other friends from the, uh, the Northeast diabetes community. What was that like? What was that like to kind of just like go to diabetes camp as an adult and just like have fun with other people with diabetes? It was so cool. It was, um, besides meeting some amazing people, I, just like I think Connected Emotion is one of like the best organizations in terms of like even in line with like your podcast, just like being able to do what you do in a day-to-day and whether that's hiking, kayaking, like you do a lot of adventure activities and then just being all together. I remember one of the coolest memories was being at a dinner on the first night. We're just all, and it's such an opposite to what real life is like because we're like, what do you get bolusing? Like, what do you think? Like, how much is this? And like on the dinner menu, it'd be like half a cup of beans is one serve. And it was kind of all out there. And then I remember the next morning, wait, no, firstly in the night, there was a girl in the bunk beds and she was like 2am and she was like eating a yogurt in bed. And you know, that's such only diabetics get that, like stuffing your face with something at 2am. Like no one else really does that. And you're like, oh, I get it. Do you need anything else? And she was like, no. And then we had yoga the next morning and I run in and I was like, sorry, I was low. And I was like, beep, beep. And everyone's like, you can't get away with that excuse here. Like, who wasn't? <laughs> <laughs> like, it was just cool. But there was no, it was also weird that there's no, like, backstory. You know, a lot of the times being a diabetic, you've got to, like, 
be like, oh, sorry, I can't have this or this or this. And then you've got to do it. You completely remove all of that because everyone, that's already like your common ground. And so you kind of can just start a friendship from like five steps ahead. Yeah. You get to skip all of the like explaining and all the exposition, mm-hmm. right? You just get to jump right into like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Like, and like you said, walking into yoga, being low, everybody's like, yeah, I get it. Like no need to explain. Yeah. It was really cool. And yeah, just devices beeping everywhere. And that's no always like, is that an amber alert? No one was like, whose phone is that? <laughs> yeah. like, oh. Everybody like wakes up, like their brain like wakes them up and they think it's them, right? Like, you know, you're, yeah. that, that was the, when I went to, I, I got to go to a diabetes camp in Colorado and my cabin was like, I was in a, in a cabin with a bunch of other counselors and all of them had diabetes. And so I think somebody, we were all wearing the same pump. And so in the middle of the night, somebody's pump was going off. We all woke up thinking it was us. Uh, and then, you know, we figured it's like, Oh, who is it? And they're like, Oh, it's me. It's like, okay, cool. We're good. Uh, you know, we yeah. found it. I'm obsessed with diabetes camps. I didn't know that they made them for adults. I need to go because I like half of my friends are from childhood diabetes camps. I totally understand what Bambi's saying. Like there's no exclusion because everyone's just doing the same thing. And if you try to come up with an excuse, like, no one cares because we're all dealing with the same thing. Yeah. You know I mean? So it's like a, just a great group. I like to call it diabetes communes. That's why I call it when there's more than two diabetics in the room together. Because like we just share supplies, share vibes, share it all. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, think it's so different too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, baby. No, no, no. You go. Oh, I was just saying it's like so different from our everyday life where we're just sort of isolated and, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know. I never had a friend at work in, in all my year, in all my career. We actually just hired two women at my agency who have diabetes. And so it's nice to just be able to have somebody downstairs uh, who's like, Oh yeah. Like, Hey, I'm, I, I woke up high this morning. And so I'm in a bad mood. Uh, and they're like, Oh yeah, I get that. But I, that had never happened to me before. It never, you know, I never in really in college or, or any kind of like experience in my professional life that I ever have somebody with diabetes who was around a lot uh, until, I met some friends through Dallas comedy house a few years ago, but, um, yeah, before that it was just like very isolating and, you know, the camps are such a great way to, to get on the other side of that. I think the other really big thing I learned from camp is like, I think I've learned some of the best things about diabetes from diabetics, like as much as medicals and like endocrinologists are great, you know, a lot of the time they don't have diabetes, whereas we're the people that are like doing it. And I think at the camps is where I've learned like the biggest like tips and tricks. Or like people being like, you know, because we're like kind of mastering the game. We're the ones that are like, I don't know, why is it high? Do you go hide even when you have black coffee in the morning or something? Like, it's just like those little things that you don't really know are key things until you find someone else experiences the same. And they're like, well, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Like, I've definitely learned a lot of great things from other diabetics. Oh man, it's like, and that's, I think for me, probably my favorite part of the diabetes online community mm-hmm. is like you said, like the really niche, like really like nitty gritty details, like coffee or when you wake up in the morning and like feet on the floor morning, you know, morning spiking or uh, like bolusing for protein, even though you didn't eat carbs and just like understanding how all of that works and like exercise and, you know, just normalizing eating a bag of gummy bears in your yoga class. Uh, and just being able to laugh about that. And like you said, 
a doctor and a, and a diabetes educator or an endocrinologist can like get you prepared for situations, but talking to somebody who really knows and is like tested and learned and, you know, made mistakes and, and had successes is just such a great like life hack. I just love, like it's leveled me up in so many different ways. Yeah, for sure. I get to learn stuff on this podcast all the time. You guys will come on here, a guest will say something. And then like the next week, me and Ra will be like, wait, did it? so-and-so say that two weeks ago and we're like oh my god mind blown so I think that you're right conversation breeds growth and if you talk to someone who's living a similar experience as you like even just like another girl like I remember you know Bambi I don't know if you've ever dealt with this but like I remember I couldn't figure out like my periods with my diabetes and that was the toughest thing and it felt like all the representation online was all men so just those conversations can help you grow so much in your own personal care and just how you deal with things yeah, a thousand percent. It's like we're the ultimate product testers and like doing this day to day and like we get, we, you get it. Yeah. And I, th I think it's cool too. Like you said, you don't change your Lancet every day, which makes you just like everybody else. Cause like, I think the, the last time I changed, I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, wow, it's probably been six months. I probably should get back and change this Lancet. <laughs> yeah. That's the one thing I don't need to bring. Like I, I bring a box every time and I'm like, why? Or swabs. So, so many, yeah, swabs and like lancets. Alcohol swabs. <laughs> yeah. So it's like extra. we we definitely talked about like the high points of like getting involved uh you know with the diabetes community and running into people, you know, around the world. Can you think of a moment where diabetes kind of got in the way of of your career or like you know, kind of was was present in a time where you really needed to be focused on on the work or on travel or any any kind of times that where you had to deal with diabetes? um, you know, in a working capacity and, you know, what was that like? Um, yeah, I think, I think that what one thing that diabetes is, can be super annoying is how like little sicknesses can become big things quite quickly. Like, even I was saying this morning, I was at the dentist and he's like, got something on your gums. He was like, Oh, you've got diabetes, right? Oh, that's a side effect of diabetes. Like the amount of times you go to a doctor and like, we have a mosquito bite and it gets infected and they're like, oh yeah, that's diabetes. The amount of little things like that, that then become big things super quickly, that is super frustrating. And I think especially traveling so much and like not getting enough sleep, it's just, I know that like you've got to really stay on top because those stupid like little, like a little sniffle turns into something bad so quick unless you're on top of it. And you seem like a hypochondriac because you're rushing to a a doctor to get a prescription just in case but it's just like from experience there's been times when I've been like oh no it's okay and you're like I knew I should have done something earlier because yeah again just things can go you can get sick so quick um and that's been hard and then you know then in times like that then your sugars are high and then you're just frustrated and then you're just like I don't want this yeah more over it um do you, do you find it like in, in moments like that, do you find it like discouraging or like difficult to advocate for yourself, uh, you know, in situations like that, or like, how have you faced those challenges kind of over the years? Um, it can be, it's more like, because in terms of advocating for myself, you know, it's times like that when you probably around the same time you run into someone who tells you that their cousin cured it by eating vegan it's a really boring diet but they've cured themselves and you're just like please like give me a boring diet like over six needles and a 
CGM every day, like, cool. But, you know, then then there's those moments that probably come at a similar time. They're like, oh, no, my friend killed himself. He went to the gym every day. They're like, I don't think all of us would be doing this if there was a cure like that. Um, and it's kind of you've got to learn whether, whether that person is so naive. Like, do you stick up for yourself or do you let them just have the monologue and go with it and just, just close your mouth? You know? So, so here's what I'm thinking. So here's what I'm hearing. International supermodel Bambi North of Blythe still gets people who are cure mongers who talk about cinnamon and diet and exercise curing diabetes. So even, even international superstar oh, yeah. gets the, gets the, uh, the, the same kind of things that we all deal with either from family or from just unsolicited opinions from strangers, man. Yeah. Well, like when people mentally unload on you, like my auntie had it, she died. You're like, okay um I'm really sorry but like you know and you just like I don't know what to do with that like, <laughs> yeah it's like how do you follow up to that in a conversation it's so difficult yeah it's yeah there's yeah yeah there's it's just yeah when high opinions and I guess because you're living it and you're dealing with it it's so it can be really tricky in those moments to like stay level-headed but like states and facts back totally yeah and I think those conversations are just tough. I mean, you know, you just get into those moments where you make that decision. Like, is this a time for me to educate and advocate or is this easier yeah. for me to just kind of let this go and, and move on to the next thing? Mm -hmm. Totally. So one of the things I well, was, I think Bambi, Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say Bambi can probably give them to them, give them like either a nice answer or a mean answer. Cause I, I know this about her, but she's a Gemini. So I was like, I wonder how those interactions go. Yeah, sorry. I'm so, kind of a fan. Anyway, so <laughs> I wonder how those interactions go when they catch her maybe on the wrong day, but maybe Bambi doesn't have the wrong days. I don't know. Yeah, no, there's can be some short answers. You know, it's more like, do you have the bad type or the good type? Oh, you've got the really bad type. Like, I don't know. There's one like that. I'm like, well, that just, there's just, sometimes it's just, or when it continues you know, and it goes on and you're like, okay, get it. And then you're eating candy later in the day. And they're like, oh, that's why you have it. Like, how much did you eat on the day? You shouldn't be having that. Like, are you having an attack? And you're like, I don't have it. I will be, but don't eat my You could just wiggle your Bambi eyebrows at them and they'll go away. <laughs> <laughs> what are, like, speaking of, you know, I, like I, one of the things that I think is so interesting about you, baby, and I, I really didn't know until we were we connected over, I guess, over the holiday season or kind of this winter. And you were talking about a project that you were working on. And um, at that time, I think you had recently graduated from from university as well. And you had been like working remotely in like 50 countries and like, you know, uh, on different time zones and like, you know, in airports and all over the world, like in your off time, spending this time investing in yourself what was, what was that like? And like, you know, how did you, you know, in those moments where you're traveling, you've been working all day, you've been, you know, doing these amazing high profile, you know, publications and work and spreads and, and here you are, then you're doing like homework at 2am in an airport, you know, talk to me about that process. I mean, like, cause there's so much more to you than meets the eye. Um, and, and here you are, you know, maybe a year later from that, like looking back, like what is, what is, what, what stands out from you or to you from that time? um it was it was definitely crazy it was super grounding I'm one that really sticks to my word and I promised my dad when I went away at 17 to go and do Chanel I was like he was like I can't believe you're not going to college 
he's so disappointed. He was like, you're going to be a model, right? And I was like, we had a deal that I would get a degree by the time I was 30. I turned 30 last year and I graduated a month before. And so I got to 26 and a half and I was like, well, I got to do this. And so I looked online, I found a college I wanted to go to, I applied, got in, and I was like, I didn't know what it was going to be like. And honestly, I kind of, I ran a half marathon a couple of years before and it was a lot kind of like training for a run in the sense of like the first time you're on a treadmill, those first five minutes are like, you're like, oh, I can never do this, it's so hard, this is impossible. And you kind of build up stamina. And I feel like studying was a lot like that with me, sitting in front of a book at the end of the day, reading about like Porter and Pestle's like business plans. You're like, well, I can't do this. And even just writing an essay. And I think getting through that and that sense of like completion and, you know, every essay at the start is like, you're like, I'm going to be able to do this. And then you still hand it in, you get it in on time. It's just like, it's super rewarding. And it was something that I guess I hadn't really like, yeah, invested in myself and kind of in my brain like that for a while. And it was, it was just a really, it was a great process. And I say that probably more so in retrospect, because I remember finishing even last year, I was like, never again, but it was really rewarding. That's so cool. And, and I love the comparison to like training because yeah, at first it's really exciting for the first few minutes and then it gets very difficult and there's those kind of peaks and valleys throughout. That's, that's just a great comparison. Um, and congratulations so to you as well. Thank you. Super congrats. So relatable. Those first five minutes are absolute hell. You just want to jump off the treadmill and forget all about it. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've been doing a lot of running interviews recently with like people who run ultra marathons. Air tray is like running every day. Running is just like existing in, in our like atmosphere right now. It's just a very, uh, it's a very consistent part of this podcast. Yeah, lately. it is. <laughs> is anyone doing the marathon? We aren't, but I did, uh, I did, uh, over the weekend hang out with Jesse Levine, who's a friend of the podcast, who is, uh, is going to run, uh, the New York marathon on the beyond type one team. So, uh, oh, wow. excited, excited to see everybody do that. Yeah. So I love cool. seeing them run for it. It's, it's such so a cool, cool thing. Yeah. So Bambi, I have two more questions for you, uh, mm -hmm. before we kind of, as we kind of wrap up the time together today, um, the first one is like going back to a 12 year old Bambi, you're diagnosed with diabetes. Like what is one thing if you could go back to and, and tell yourself something, what, what would you tell your younger self with diabetes if you were able to go back? Um, I remember the doctor telling me when I got it, he was like, listen, you've got a medical condition, but it's not a life sentence. Like you can do pretty much what you want to do as long as you take this seriously and like look after yourself it's totally manageable and you can live a normal life and I think that kind of really stuck with me because yeah it is true like you can live a totally normal life but you've just got to like you know take that extra whatever percent of care over yourself so I think that was um that really stuck with me just like, and everything is possible. You've just, yeah, got to go a little bit further. Yeah. You just got to work that plan and keep coming, yeah. keep and coming then, back to that treadmill. Yeah. And then I guess just having people in your corner and knowing when to ask for help because you don't, or you shouldn't have to do it all alone. 
And I think, you know, even how slipstream is called slipstream because of the idea of cycling, you know, if someone pulls back, there's still the group to keep pushing you up. I think that's really helpful in diabetes because you do have those down days and you do have the days when you want to throw your CGM out the window and you're just like, you need someone to be able to be like, oh, or just like not get angry that your blood sugar is high and just be like, cool, I'm just not going to, just going to let it go for the day. And so tomorrow's a new day. I think, yeah, so have a group, a good group of people around you that can understand it or you can vent to. And then knowing that you can live a normal life. Totally agree. And, you know, I think it's so important because not everybody gets that like encouraging word from, from their doctors at diagnosis. And that's, mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing I've learned from, you know, do, doing over 200 interviews now uh, with people is that there's generally two types of diagnosis. You get the one with where you don't get any information at all. And then there's one where you get very similar to the three of us where, you know, somebody says, Hey, this is a lifelong condition, but it's not the end of your life. You just have to make sure you take care of yourself and you can do basically anything that you put your mind to. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people also can, can kind of get discouraged from that sometimes because it, diabetes is hard and it's, it, and it is, you know, a chronic illness and it does take a lot of work and management and it is, is with us kind of everywhere we go. Um, the next question I have, and this is kind of the last one is that you are a highly visible person. And I know that there are many kids and parents and adults and men and women who look up to you and, and as a, a role model of somebody with diabetes who is truly like living beyond and like living the life that they want and, um, kind of living to the max and, and, you know, chasing their dreams and accomplishing their goals. Like what, you know, for people who look, look to you, like what, what word would you give to them to say, you know, a word of encouragement to somebody who's out there who, you know, looks up to you as a role model? Um, say thanks guys but also that um i think diabetes does give you a bit of an extra force at the same time because you're like if i've got this and i can do this like what can't i do like it does i think it's driven me a bit more um and yeah it's just it's you do get that extra discipline you're super organized you're it gives you a little bit more of a drive, I think. Um, in terms of that, I think, yeah, just you got to keep going. Use it as fuel is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Use it as your fuel. Like what mm-hmm. makes you less, what you think makes you less stronger can make you like more powerful than beyond your wisest dreams. Because like you've somehow figured out a way to be like this international supermodel. And all I'm thinking about is like, a low on the runway, ma'am. Like, what do we do? Oh my God, it's happened so many times. Really? <laughs> so dumb. Like, yeah. Like, and then, you know, you, you've got stupid lipstick on and you try and run back to your dressing rack and, like, eat some candy and there's a lipstick there. And people are like, what are you doing? And you're like, oh. You're like sweating <laughs> through your makeup and everything, right? Just Yeah. There's just, you know, or like injecting through a dress because you can't take your dress off. And then you like, I do that. <laughs> and I can't take the phone off. I, do that. I should just take it off. But like, yeah, there's definitely times like they, when you're just like, oh, there's just so many funny kind of things that happen on the road or, you know, especially your Dexcom alarm going off. And I was shooting like a Vogue thing the other day and we were recording and it's like, beep, beep, beep. And they're like, Whose phone is that? And I was just like, oh, it's not me. He's pretending it's not me because it didn't want to You know, it, it sounds and like uh, someone's robbing a bank, right? Like, yeah, it's just and a crazy alarm. Louder. 
and then it goes louder and you still like haven't owned up to it. You're just like, oh, what is that? So you sit through it and you grab it later and you're like, oh yeah, that was me. I know um, Rob's gotten to the end of his questions, but I have like a one fangirl question that I just like, because I, I guess I used to want to be a model. So when I think about you modeling, like I, I ask myself, like even me, like at work, I try to find an ally, somebody I can tell my stuff to that will like help me out and be discreet about it. So do you like find an ally? Do you, or do you just grip, you grit yourself and you're like, I got to do this and I got to do it by myself. Like, what do you do when you're on set? Um... Yeah, it's interesting because you definitely have to get in kind of like a modeling mindset. Like last week, seven new clients every day. Like I've kind of been out of the city for a while. And like the minute you land on set, you're like kind of like you're in their hands for the day. You don't really know what you're going to do. They're super excited because they're pulling you in. Like, you know what I mean? You've got to be the best version of yourself every day, which can be kind of exhausting because you're like, hey I'm so excited to be here no matter if you've just like flown on the red eye from LA to Philly plane was cancelled you have one hour of sleep you turn up you have no shower you're right on set at 5am and you're still like you've got to bring the energy and I think you kind of it's hard because you know this is a lot of people's dreams so you've got to really think about how you say it but my little sister lived with me for a while in New York and I guess she started to get it she was like well like I don't she was like I cannot believe it like the more you model kind of like like the the crazy like you just you have half a haircut you've got like no nails you're like eyelashes are falling out because you've just had so much stuff on and off and you're like you just want a day off to like wash your clothes and it's not complaining because I feel so grateful but yeah, you definitely need someone that you can be like, oh, that kind of gets it and sees you get home at 3 a.m. and leave at 5 a.m. and do that again and again and again and again. It doesn't sound like complaining. It sounds like it's a job. Like from all the interviews that we've done, it's not, to me, what I hear is like you're performing at a very, very high level. What a lot of people are also doing, but you're literally at the highest available level. So you're like an athlete, like you're going from game to game, arena to arena, place to place. And that can be very like, tiring and exhausting so I guess my last fangirl question is how do you keep yourself Bambi because you seem really like you seem like a very grounded individual like you like you got the life that you have because you got super lucky this one time and now you work so 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 hard to keep it but like how do you relax how do you stay so cool because you're really cool well that's so sweet um how do I relax I I'm kind of a homebody I think I like you know I'm, I'm a big advocate for early nights early mornings, big walks, or, like, exercise, good music. Like, can Spotify come out with some new songs? Because I don't know if lockdowns, what it's done to the music industry, but there's nothing. Um, music, just, like, just, yeah, really getting outside, fresh air. Um, yeah, just, like, moments to clear your head. Um, what else? Yeah. Cooking, I think, you know, getting into cooking. Just like, yeah, ways to get creative and yeah, music, music. What's your, what's your, like your favorite, like homebody meal to cook for yourself? Um, depends where I am, but you know what? It sounds kind of really boring, but I love like a good big, like if you go to the farmer's market on like a Sunday and you get some of the good, like fresh produce and just making like, super yum like roasted veggies and 
like some nice like spicy quinoa and that kind of stuff is really yum. I love that stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> just throw it all in a pot and let's like let's, yeah. let's get rolling. Or a bowl, like a really mm-hmm. fresh bowl. Like that's that's my jam. Roasted chickpeas all day. Yeah, chickpeas and like I love hot sauce. Anything hot. Oh, me too. Okay. Okay, now I have my last bungo question for real. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite hot sauce? Tabasco, oh. Cholula, Louisiana, Texas Pete. What kind of what kind of that green one? Which is that one? There's a lime Tabasco, like there's a lime jalapeno Tabasco sauce that's pretty good. That one, is yeah. That the one I about? do like chili flakes, are good. I don't like sriracha is not my favorite. Um, Tabasco is good, but you can overdose really quick on that. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's like a big vinegary spice. Like, oh. Um. <laughs> I actually got one in Costa Rica the other day, and I don't know what it's called, but it's really good. Oh, post oh. it. Can you can you please right. post yeah. it? Because I literally will. I literally get it. I'm like a hot sauce crazy person. I'm surprised you like hot sauce because Australians like hot things. I didn't even know. Like I, yeah, I, didn't, I don't know if they do, but Mm-mm. somehow it's come with me on the road. It's right. It's right. You, you picked it up somewhere. No, I love it. <laughs> uh, Bambi, thank you so much for your time today. And for like, I, I, I want to echo what Eritrea said. Like, this is such a cool, like, down to earth, casual, like, interview. Thank you so much for like being vulnerable and just t- talking about your life with diabetes and going on the road and taking us behind the scenes. It's been it's been really great. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. It's so nice. Yeah, it's so cool it's to just have like a mi- middle of the like this a great way to start the week on a Monday. Co- great conversation about diabetes and uh, you know, thank you for all that you do to inspire people and to tell your story. And I, I know that uh, people are going to love to hear uh, this interview and uh, love to hear from you. So thanks so much for, for giving the time and for, you know, giving part of yourself for people with diabetes. It's so cool. Thank you. 